Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Avito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. Welcome back, everybody. SI Boxing Podcast. Got a really good show lined up for you today. A uh, lot going on in the boxing world, as there always is. You've got Deontay Wilder making some crazy claims on social media about Tyson Fury. You've got Devin Haney returning to the ring this weekend. A big fight for the lightweight title holder. And Tank Davis, uh, another title holder. He had a huge performance against Leo Santa Cruz this past weekend. To get into all that and much more, I bring in Lance Pugmire, the senior boxing writer with The Athletic, and Sergio Mora, the former junior middleweight champion, broadcaster now with DAZN. They join me to break it all down. Great conversation with those two guys this week. A little bit later on, Devin Haney himself joins me. Haney, he is one of those top lightweights in one of the most exciting divisions in all of boxing, maybe the most Excited division in boxing. And this weekend, he's going to face Yuriorkas Gamboa, and it's going to be his opportunity to keep up with everybody else. You had Teofimo Lopez knocking off Vasily Lomachenko. You had Gervonta uh, Davis getting his big stoppage over Santa Cruz. Go back to February when Ryan Garcia made his statement against Francisco Fonseca. This is Devin Haney's chance. I talked to him about what this fight means to him and how he gets into the mix for some of those top fights in the 135-pound division. Stick around for that. Great talk with Devin Haney. As always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple. It's easy. It's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Lance Pugmire and Sergio Mora. All right, Lance Pugmire is here, senior boxing writer, with The Athletic, joining me on this call as well, Sergio Mora, the former junior middleweight champion, broadcaster over at DAZN. You can catch Sergio and I doing our thing on DAZN three times a week on jabs, which you can see on the platform regularly. Gentlemen, good to talk to you. Sergio, I always talk to you, so welcome back to the conversation. 
I'm only back for Lance Pugmire, the great Lance Pugmire. That's it. How are you, Lance? It's so great to catch up with you, Sergio, and great to see you too, Chris. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, you got you, you got you guys can hug it out later. Okay, we'll we'll <laughs> deal with that later. <laughs> um, all right, guys, I want to jump right into the biggest story of the week, and that was the reemergence of Deontay Wilder into the public sphere, making his first public comments uh, since the days after his loss to Tyson Fury back in February. And while many of us were expecting Wilder to be upset about Tyson Fury purportedly moving on with uh, his career and not taking that third fight with Wilder, which he was, Wilder took it a couple of steps further. He accused Tyson Fury of loading his gloves in that second fight. He uh, called his former trainer now, Mark Breland, disloyal. He went after the referee, Kenny Bayless, he took the excuse making he made in uh, after the first fight or after the second fight in the aftermath of it and ratcheted it up to a 10 and made even more excuse. So Lance, I'll start with you. You've covered Deontay for a long time. You were in his camp prior to this second fight. What did you make of this video that Wilder posted, you know, basically blaming everybody but himself for that loss? I mean, what I made of it, Chris, was that he was he's just triggered by the whole idea that Tyson Fury is moving on and he's trying to lash out at whoever he can to get the, you know, to get Fury back in the ring. I mean, he did mention that in his in his whole rant, you know, that, look, I gave you an opportunity to fight when you were down and you should be doing the same thing for me. You know, I've lost now. I want another crack at you. You should give it to me instead of taking this homecoming fight that Tyson's planning back in the UK and then moving on to Anthony Joshua, perhaps two fights with Anthony Joshua and not even get back, getting back to Deontay Wilder until 2022, you know, no, no doubt about it. Wilder's butthurt by it. And he, you know, now he's coming up with all these things. I think this is part of his tack. Like this was unfair. What happened in the ring that night? You know, I deserve this uh, other opportunity. I deserve this matter to be rectified, but look, let's be honest. We know the way this works. Where is the appeal or petition to the Nevada State Athletic Commission? Where is the outrage from his manager, Shelly Finkel? It's just not there. And so this is coming across as nothing but sour grapes from Deontay at this point. Sergio, you're a fighter, and I, I can imagine it must be tough when you lose a significant fight, especially when you lose for the first time in your career. But as bad as him blaming all the extra gear for making his legs tired was this this feels like infinitely worse i mean he's basically latching on to a wild internet conspiracy theory about tyson fury and his gloves i mean what did you make of it well what i make of it is you don't always have to lose to feel that way to to have sour grapes and start blaming the world i did that with the draw uh if you recall my 2010 fight with shane mosley uh you know lance pugmire actually did a, a, an article in the LA Times. He came visited my home and, you know, he, he knew how hard I worked for that, but, you know, I, I didn't win. I didn't lose. I didn't win. It was a stalemate, but I got so much criticism and I just hated the world. I disappeared. It, it, you don't have to lose to just turn your back on this sport and, and you feel, yeah, you feel sour, sour, you feel bitter. Now I could only understand the heavyweight champion of the world with the highest knockout ratio who considers himself to be a, a uh, 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 god in the sport and he carries himself like a king and he walks out like a king can you imagine how his ego feels i mean the bigger the the fighter the bigger the ego i mean that i always like to say that and heavy heavyweight championships are no exception champions are no exception deontay wilder is, is uh going through something he's never had to go through which is a loss and 
I mean, you really have to face yourself when you have your first big defeat. You know, I never had that quite of an embarrassing defeat, like by knockout where they had to throw in the towel and stop the fight. Well, actually, I did kind of, but we're not talking about that. It's but been forgotten, Sergio. Deontay, <laughs> Deontay Wilder was on top of the world. He was about to make 50, $100 million. It was one fight away, and, and all that just vanished because of Tyson Fury. And, of course, he has to blame everyone. He has to blame the world. But the more people he blames, the, the, the more where, you know, the, the, the everything, the aura that made him who he was is just disappearing. It's evaporating. The, the respect that he garnered all this, all this time, it just it, it goes out the window. And it's excuses, man. And you know what they say about excuses. Lance, I, I haven't seen the contract, but whenever I talk to top rank officials, they insist that they're in the right when it comes to Fury's ability to walk away from this. In fact, your colleague, Mike Coppinger, just reported that Fury has an opponent set for uh, uh, December 5th, which is just over a month away as we record this. So Tyson Fury is moving on. And even in that rant, it didn't seem like Deontay Wilder was saying you contractually owe me this next fight, basically saying you owe me because I gave it to you down the line. And we both know that's not how it works. Like you, you theoretically, sure. You know, Tyson Fury maybe owes something to Deontay Wilder, but what matters is what you have on paper. And if they don't have something on paper, which would be surprising to me that they don't have something on paper that protects themselves in this situation. I don't know where, where Wilder can go. I don't know what recourse he has because within a month, Tyson Fury, we assume if this goes well, is going to be back in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, to talk to Bob Arum and what he said, told me about the contract, he said, actually, like the Wilder side was the one who was kind of pushing this kind of like, you know, let's get this uh, third fight over with because we want to move on. And that's why there's this uh, this bridge that allows Tyson Fury to move on because they couldn't get the fight done in October when it was supposed to get done. They couldn't get, get it done in December because of the problems with the uh, television networks having some college football and I guess there were some NFL in the mix as well that they said, look, this Saturday is, is too full for us to allow for this, this fight to take place as well. So at the end of the day, when all this was happening, Tyson Fury said, look, contractually, I see a, a way to exit. I think I can take this fight that is, you know, like a showcase for me and then set myself up for the fights that I really want that are going to be so much more lucrative than a third Deontay Wilder fight because I think the way that Tyson Fury won the rematch was just so convincing in a lot of people's eyes what was the interest level going to be among the pay-per-view crowd especially in this in this day of the pandemic where it's hard for people to gather and people are have to be very cautious with their money and again it's like a week before Christmas as well so I you know I took some heat for saying that what Tyson Fury did was the best thing for boxing but I think Tyson Fury you know, was doing the thing, the, the best thing for boxing, because he was he was saying, like, I've already fought Wilder twice. You guys have already seen that. I'm now going to take this other fight, and then I'm going to set up the fight that you really want to see against Anthony Joshua. So, you know, look, Deontay Wilder's left out in the cold. It's a tough time for him. He's obviously struggling with that. Uh, but let's hope he can, you know, come to terms with this at some point sooner rather than later. No, I, I agree with you, Lance, because I, I think the two best things that happened to boxing outside of the ring, well, I guess it's sort of inside the ring, but one was Dillian White losing to Alexander Povetkin, which not only set up an eventual 
you know, rematch with Pavekin, which has been pushed back into January, but, you know, took White out of the mix as a Fury opponent, kept that belt in play for the Undisputed Championship, and now you do have the path cleared with Wilder out of the picture for the mega fight that will attract attention globally, not just in the U.S. and the U.K., but everywhere when you see uh, Joshua versus Fury stepping in the ring at some point uh, next year. So it is uh, the best thing for boxing. It's just, you know, how it came about is just bizarre. And Sergio, if, if you're Deontay Wilder, you know, what do you do now? You're 35, almost 36 years old. Uh, you know, presumably you're not going to have a shot, the heavyweight title, for at least a year. I mean, if these belts remain with Fury and Joshua, which, you know, things may change on that account, but if they remain with Fury and Joshua, they're going to sign a two-fight deal. So that's going to take a championship opportunity out of your plans for 2021. Put yourself in, in Wilder's shoes. What do you do? Well, uh, he started uh, boxing late in his career, so I don't think he'll be physically burnt out. Uh, he might be mentally worn out, but uh, not physically. So he can continue fighting. Uh, you know, smaller fighters get that feeling, that old feeling of knocking guys out and being the man. Maybe not walk out with crowns and 45-pound costumes, but he can still feel like the man fighting on television, on these on PBC shows. He's not going to be the star, but he has to, you know, he has to take a couple steps back to – to get that attention. And the, the one thing about boxing, my trainer always used to tell me this, you're only one big fight away from getting, one impressive fight from getting a big fight. And that's always the case. So with one spectacular knockout Deontay Wilder has, he's back in the mix. He, he's back in, in people's minds and people talking about him. So if, if he really wants to prove that, that he is the man, that he is the, the heavyweight champion and the king, he needs to take a couple steps back and knock out a couple guys and then come back to the drawing board, but until then, he's going to be uh, kind of a crybaby, an excuse maker, and you know, a guy that had too much sour grapes, like Lance, Lance said. Lance, Lance, the the clock is ticking on Deontay Wilder because even if Sergio's right and there's not as much wear and tear on his body, you are what you are, and I, I understand that power is the last thing to go with a heavyweight. But Deontay is such a quick twitch type of guy that reflexes do go as you get a little bit older, so that could be problematic for him as he gets a little bit older. I know that they're focused right now on, uh, you know, focused on trying to make that Fury fight happen one way or the other, but do you have any expectation for what Wilder might do if Fury really does move on? No, I mean, I think that there are great options before him. I mean, obviously, Andy Ruiz Jr., the former heavyweight champion, is within the PBC stable, and he's a guy who has knocked out Anthony Joshua. So Wilder could take on Ruiz, knock Ruiz out, and say like, "Look, that, that feels like an immensely dangerous fight, Lance. That feels like Ruiz is tough to knock out. Do we, do we have another bet? I love that fight. Do we have another? I love that fight. He's so tough. To, I'll let you finish your thought, Lance. But he's he's so tough to knock out, and I could see Ruiz winning like nine three on the scorecards in a fight like that. If you can't, because if you can't hurt him, he's good enough to outbox you. Ruiz is, I'm saying, and that's. That's a problem. I mean, I, I was thinking more of the Adam Konoski range if Konoski wins his rematch you know, against Robert Hellenius. Yeah, he could do that. And Hellenius, too, is an option. You know, big, tall guy like that who's, you know, somewhat comparable to Tyson Fury. But um, I do like the idea. I mean, because I think that um, Wilder needs to do whatever he can to elevate himself back into that argument in the strongest way possible that, look, you know, I'm right there with you guys. Okay, uh, Fury, you had a better night than me. But... You know, I've always believed that I can beat Anthony Joshua. I just finished the guy that finished you. I need to be back in this mix sooner rather than later. And uh, to me, that I know it's I know it's tough. I know what you're saying that you think Ruiz would win the fight, but for me, Deontay Wilder can fix himself and re rehabilitate himself 
And if he wins a fight against Ruiz, that's the best way to do it to for sure and guarantee himself that he's going to be back in play come the start of 2020. Yeah, I, I, look, I, 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 I love that. Go ahead, I go ahead, love Sergio. that fight. I, I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry, Chris. I love that fight. I, I didn't think of that fight. And I, I can just imagine that fight with Andy Ruiz and Deontay Wilder at the Staples Center. It doesn't make sense that it'll be an extremely dangerous fight because the fast hands and, and the big fight experience that Andy Ruiz has now can maybe derail Deontay Wilder. But if not Ruiz, how about a... How about a, a less dangerous version of Ruiz like Chris Ariola? That's another fight that makes sense at the Staples Center. So one of those two fights at the Staples Center can send a, a message uh, out there. So I really like that fight, man. No, I yeah. look. It, it's it, it's look. It's a very good fight. I just think it's incredibly dangerous for Deontay Wilder. I think if you're trying to rebuild yourself, I think the first thing you want to do is go up against guys that have been knocked out before, and that's not Andy Ruiz. Like you want to go up against Kovnaski, who was recently knocked out. Hellenius, we've seen get battered around a little bit. Even Chris Ariola, uh, especially at this stage of his career, those are opponents that that make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Ruiz. I'd have a lot of trepidation if I was on Team Wilder about setting up that fight, especially in his first fight back. Maybe end of the year, but in his first fight back, that might be uh, a little bit too much too soon for a guy trying to get a bounce back win. Lance, one more question. Well, he, for you about look, this. He, he, he was supposed to be able to fight Fury on, on December 19th, right? So he should be yeah. ready for anyone. So. You know, that's yeah. my. I just think risk, risk, reward. I guess like, yeah. you're not going to make as much money against Andy Ruiz. You're just not. I don't even know if that's a pay per view quality event. I don't like. I, I don't know what that would do on pay per view though. Everything's on pay per view nowadays. It seems like. Um, one last question for you, Lance, about Wilder. He did kind of let slip during that video that there really was a lucrative offer from Anthony Joshua, which you and I both knew was there. It was in the neighborhood of 100, 120 million dollars when Matchroom and Dazone were negotiating that deal with Wilder. And, you know, Joshua pounced on that and said, at least he acknowledged it and said, uh, you know, that that offer was real. I know the dust hasn't fully settled on all this, but did Wilder make a mistake turning down that offer? He made a lot of money to, for lesser fights, first against Dominic Brazil, who knocked out in the first round, then against Luis Ortiz, and ultimately made a ton of money in two fights uh, with Tyson Fury. But looking back on it, was it a mistake to turn down the Joshua multi-fight offer? I think it absolutely was because in his, in his heart, in his mind, he believes that he could have won that fight. And that was a, a, those are two mega events, Chris. I mean, he's guaranteed himself win or lose. Remember, I think it was even written in the contract. Even if you lose by first round knockout, you're going to have a second fight. So for Deontay Wilder to walk away from that, I, I, obviously, look, the fact that he mentioned it shows that it's running through his mind that, look, I'd let this unbelievable amount of money get away from me, probably for the sake of, you know, Al Heyman, to be honest with you, and his own plans for doing whatever he was going to do with, the, you know, some PBC opponents. So it's a damn shame. Um, he could have, he had the opportunity to jump and, and seize his, his moment, and he didn't do. He kind of like, you know, hesitated or let someone hesitate for him and now he's regretting it doubly regretting it now with uh, fury moving on to that fight sergio did he make a mistake absolutely i mean i have a saying well me, me and my trainer have a saying don't let go for show money for some more money i mean that that <laughs> offer was on the table he should have taken the, that offer and run. It was, I mean, the zone was the zone was spending money. They 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 spend money on Canelo. They spend money on Daniel Jacobs. They spend money all over the place, over overpaying for fighters and 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 wanting them on contract. Now, like Lance said, and I was part of this loyalty with Al Heyman. We have this undying respect for for Al Heyman because he brings up up from 
us from nothing. And even when we lose, he doesn't discard us. That's what fighters love about Heyman and, and the respect and the loyalty there. It's unwavering. It's unlike any other manager and unlike any other person or people or corporations in boxing. That's the reason Wilder st stayed there. I get that. But I, I believe also that uh, Heyman has fighters' ears and a fighters' respects too. So if Wilder would have said, no, I want this fight, there's no way Heyman would have uh, 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 said, no, I think we should do this or contractually we're obligated to do something else with networks or something else. He should have said, I want this fight, make it happen. It was all up to Wilder, Wilder and he didn't make it happen. And now that money vanished, that opportunity vanished. And it's it's opportunities like that where you kick yourself in the butt. Like when I had the, the chance to fight Jermaine Taylor for the undisputed championship of the world and for a lot of money, I said, no, I'm kicking myself in the ass every day for it now. And I think Wilder's in the same position, only in a rounder yeah. scale. Yeah, one of the great what-ifs of Wilder's career. What would have happened in those two fights with Joshua? Would Joshua's chin have made him more vulnerable than Fury? Did he have the skill to keep Wilder off him? I mean, we, we deal with it many times in boxing. What would have happened if? That's you know proven out to be another one of those examples. All right, let's move on to a fight this past weekend, the biggest fight of the weekend, Gervonta Davis in action against Leo Santa Cruz. Davis wins with a just savage uppercut knockout, a knockout of the year type of performance that'll be right up there with a couple of others, maybe at best, the Dillian White, Pavekin knockout from back over the summer and a handful of Jose Zapata with his knockout as well. Uh, that's a big one over Ivan Baranchik. But this one was special. And in an era where lightweights are doing special things, you know, Gervonta Davis threw down the gauntlet. Uh, Lance, you were ringside for that. Give me your view of uh, Gervonta's performance in that fight. Yeah, it was an unbelievable showing. It was exactly what he needed. I mean, this is a guy who has just waited so long. He worked hard all last year to build his name recognition up and then finally landed this pay-per-view uh, show against four-division champion Leo Santa Cruz. And it was a great fight up until that point. I mean, it, it, and obviously, it was an unbelievable finish. What he did, you know, in, you know, this is the guy who came into this fight as, as a mini Mike Tyson and definitely performed that with that just killer uppercut. I mean, what a shot. And Leo Santa Cruz to crumble to the canvas in his corner the way he did, you know, so sadly with his father, like patting him to make sure he was like still alive was incredible. I mean, it was exactly what Gervonta Davis needed in this time, you know, just a few weeks after Tiafima Lopez upsets Vasily Lomachenko and you've got Ryan Garcia ready to fight, Devin Haney coming this week. These, you know, guys around the 135-pound division are so damn talented. And it's just, I mean, it, boxing, it, this is the uh, best division era, or it is, at least this is the best era area of boxing, you know, for um, these guys right now because they're just so talented. And they can do so many diverse things in the ring. It's, it's just a great time. Sergio, I, when I watched that fight, it, it ended more spectacularly than I thought it was going to end but it kind of went the way I thought it was going to go. I mean, you knew that Leo was going to take the fight to Gervonta. That's just how he fights. You know, a guy's not going to change who he is just because he's moving up another division and fighting a guy that's naturally a little bit bigger. But at the same time, even though Leo had never been stopped, you know, Gervonta has fight-changing power. So I expected him to knock him out. What were your takeaways from, from watching that fight? Well, I was really surprised with Leo Santa Cruz because, I mean, he showed the heart and he showed that he could have had success if uh, if he didn't make a mistake. But he had to fight the perfect fight. And that's rare in boxing to do everything, you know, exactly perfect and be infallible that night. But he was 
he it was a damn good fight for as, as short as his uh, uh, fight as it lasted. So Tank was having trouble with Leo Santa Cruz in those in that third or fourth round, I believe. But he was from the first round. Tank was looking for that that big left uppercut. He was throwing it. I, I mean, he was throwing it from from down here all the way up. He looked like Street Fighter throwing that uppercut. But he finally landed it because he caught Leo Santa Cruz doing making a mistake. He threw three straight right hands in a row. And you don't do that against a southpaw, especially an explosive southpaw. Okay, the first one, that's the main punch to throw against a left-hander. Second one, you got away with that. Don't you dare throw me. Boom. Good night. <laughs> and those punches you don't see coming. They come from an angle where your, your arm, your, it comes below your arm. You don't even see that punch. It just tweaks your neck, and you're out before you even hit the floor. That is the knockout of the year, and I'll tell you why. Even though there has been other knockouts, like you mentioned, uh, the Pavecki one and the exciting fight between Berenchik and Cepeda and others, but this was on a championship level with two elite champions, and you always got to credit uh, the elite level, and then you can go down the, the totem pole of, of, of great knockouts. That was the knockout of the year, and Tank, we talked about it in jabs, Chris. That's what he needed to start becoming a star, People were, you know, like like always, Lance. People were saying, "You don't know nothing." How is this? How is knocking out a smaller fighter gonna do it? Leo Santa Cruz, blah 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 blah. Look at all the attention it got. LeBron James is tweeting about it. Everybody was watching. It was the knockout of the year, and it welcomed Tank in to the pay per view stage. It was just amazing. I mean, look, Tank is a, a legitimate rising star. Like you mentioned, the people tweeting about it. You know, whether it's LeBron James or Conor McGregor or many others that were out there focused on this fight. What Mayweather and Al Heyman and the PBC Universe has done, and Lance, you covered this just as closely or closer than I did as Mayweather was coming up, was they have tapped into the urban market. They have done a remarkable job, first with Floyd, and now it seems like Gervonta is following that same path. I mean, you're in a stadium like the Alamo Dome, but socially distanced, getting 10,000 people or right around there is a pretty good number during a pandemic. To have that kind of crowd in for a Gervonta Davis fight. So I don't dispute, you know, Floyd when he says that Gervonta is the man in the 130, 135-pound division. I don't know that he's the best fighter. I still think Teofimo has proven himself at a higher level. I think Devin Haney, you know, is widely regarded as just as talented as anybody at 135 pounds. And Ryan Garcia is a fighter on the rise, but he did show, and I mean, look, Lance, money talks in boxing. So when you're backstopped by big bucks and big ratings, or in the case of Tank, you know, in his case, hopefully a decent pay-per-view number, you're a shot caller at that point. And that's what, what Tank Davis, I think, showed on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. I mean, this is a guy who absolutely can embrace where what Floyd Mayweather has paved before him. Uh, they did it so smart last year. I mean, they took him to Baltimore. They took him to Atlanta. They embraced the urban market. Um, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, even Tank Davis's demeanor and behavior he gets it. He understands, you know, like where, how high he's ascended to and the way he needs to act and, you know, behave accordingly. And look, he brings with them this killer punch as well. I mean, what's not to like about this guy? And I agree. I mean, look, we can have this conversation and we can have this debate all day long about who's better between him and Tiafimo Lopez. But let the debate begin on, you know, last Saturday night. That's when it started officially. And let's hope that it works out. Let's hope that ultimately all four of these guys can just meet each other in a round robin that lasts this entire decade. Lance, let me just ask you this. What's your sense 
And I know Floyd said, look, he did his usual Floyd thing, like stop asking what's next, even though everybody wants to know what's next. He says he'll take, he'll take three weeks off, yada, 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 all that stuff. But what's your sense about where Davis goes from here? I mean, if he stays at 130, you, know, you could make conceivably a Gary Russell Jr. fight with Gary moving up. He's looking for a big fight. And if he goes to 135, I know it's opposite sides of the streets, different networks involved. But to me, there's no better time to make Teofimo Lopez versus Tank Davis. Teofimo, whatever you want to call him, let's call him a unified champion. Many think he's undisputed at 135. He's the top guy at 135 pounds. Davis is a big-time draw with a secondary title at 135 pounds. I, I, I don't think there's a better time than now to make that fight happen, though I am, and I'm sure you're the same way, very skeptical that fight ultimately happens. Oh, I know. And I, I totally 1000% agree with you, Chris. I mean, if we were running boxing, as we talked about on the show before, <laughs> we would be making that fight, but we're not. And so you, you can see what's going to happen. Look, I think what they'll ultimately do, I don't know the exact name, but I think they'll, they'll move him up to 135 and have him fight, you know, some opponent probably within the PBC stable, just so he, you know, is, checks out the weight and see, uh, sees how he does and everything like that. But, you know, look, I mean, both of these guys right now are so charismatic. They've both just headlined these major shows. I mean, TF let's not forget that TFEMO's fight on ESPN drew um, basically 3 million viewers. What, what's to stop this fight from taking place right now? And the loser is not har harmed in one way. They're both very young. I mean, Tank's 25, Teofimo's 23. These guys got their whole careers ahead of them. And let them just go out. You know, it could be like a trilogy among, among all these guys. I'd love to see it. You know, the name that you raised, though, Gary Russell Jr., he keeps throwing his name out there, holds his feet to, his fire, to the fire, mm -hmm. and, and let's, let's get him in there and, and see if he'll fight uh, Tank Davis. You know, if he doesn't, now he's walked away from two significant fights, and we don't want to hear from me anymore. Yeah, I'm with you. There's, there's been a lot of chatter coming out of Gary Russell and not a lot of action at, at different points. Sergio, let's say Tank moves up and fights Teofimo 135 at some point in the middle of next year. Who would you favor in that fight? Uh, Teofimo Lopez, because he's a similar version of Tank, only bigger. Uh, he's he's a little defensive with his shoulder roll. He doesn't get carried away with it before he can get caught. Uh, he knows how to box going backwards. I was really just all over impressed with Teofimo Lopez uh, and his character, man. You know, watching those behind the scenes, you get a real, you know, you get a real glimpse of what they are and their passion. And and that scene where where he kind of broke down crying about his father. I always said that that you know fathers uh, father son relationships in boxing they're they're not good they don't work out you know how I feel about that and and it showed on camera but it showed the passion and also showed the bravado when he spits on the floor I love that man I love that because it takes me back to the contender days I wasn't spitting on the floor but I could see it in his eyes even that time that time where Teofimo said look at my eyes man he's just he's meant to be something special and he's believable and he passed the test and he he bit off more than he can chew and he swallowed it. And he spit it out. The guy's a star. Don't expect him to fight Tank Davis next. Bob Arum is going to milk him. They're going to fight him. Not milk him. Maybe in another way. They're going to make a lot of money for that young man. And they're going to they're gonna make a lot of money in milk boxing. Yeah, but, but Sergio, you're insane if you think that it's going to be top rank that stops a Teofimo versus Tank fight from happening. Like, they would line him up with that next. I mean, Lance, do you agree with that? I mean, I, I, think, I don't think top rank would prevent that fight from happening at early... Yeah. I, well, yes. Or, or one after at the latest. I think they one would. After I mean, maybe. Sorry. I think, you no, know, it's okay. I, I think that they, I think that they would, but I just, I just have the feeling that these guys are, it, it's so hard for these two guys to get together and, and, you know, 
get the deal done. That's what I see as the biggest obstacle to it. To it. And there's, you know, an opportunity for, we're going to see the Josh Taylor, Jose Ramirez winner move up to 147 to fight Terrence Crawford. So there's going to be basically four belts empty at 140 for Tiafimo to pursue, pursue there. And then he can, you know, he can take on, take on that path as well. So there is, I, I understand what you're saying, uh, Sergio. It's not that it's, it's milking it, but I think that they will say like, okay, here's an opportunity for this guy to get a couple more fights under his belt, just so we know for sure. And let's see how Gervonta does in a couple more fights instead of, you know, walking right in, uh, you know, even though it makes sense in our eyes, Chris. I mean, I, I yeah. I, I look at Lance. I think I think they they do it because I think they believe strongly that Teofimo wins. Like I think they believe that they're they don't see it as a risk, and maybe they shouldn't, or maybe they should see it as a risk. But I think they see it as a fight their guy would be a big favorite in. And look, so you, you, know, you think Floyd? You think Floyd is the one who won't won't make it happen then? I, I think they'll be they'll be more careful on that side of the street. Yes, on on making that fight happen. I do believe that. I do think that. You know, Devin Haney said this to me, and you were sitting there ringside. You could probably attest to this, but Devin's like watching Leo land those shots on that he did, and he landed some good shots on Tank. Like, what happens when a real 135 pounder does that? A guy with a bigger punch, like Teofimo, or like a Devin Haney, or even like a Ryan Garcia. Like, what happens when when he takes those shots from a bigger fighter, which he hasn't really done yet? I mean, he's done it to a degree against Gamboa, but it's not the same as Lopez, Haney, uh, or uh, Ryan Garcia, any of those guys. So. I think that's what some of these other lightweights are watching. Like they're seeing a guy that's not super sharp defensively, and he's not—I don't want to say protected, but he's been uh, saved in a way by not fighting the big punchers yet. Fair enough. Yeah, that's my position on it. Sergio, do you dispute that at all? Like you—you you saw what Tank was—you know the the way the way Leo got to him a couple of times. You know, was able to to penetrate the guard there. You know, bigger fighters I think would give him would give Tank a few more problems. Yeah, but I also don't think Tank would fight the bigger fighters like that. I think he did that because he knew that Leo Santa Cruz was a smaller fighter coming up and he yep. could take chances. I don't think he'll do that against Devin Haney and the bigger uh, welterweights. I mean, I'm sorry, no. lightweights. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. All right, let's talk. go back to heavyweight division for a second. Alexander Usyk uh, back after a year off in the UK on the road again and puts together a pretty strong performance in outpointing uh, Derek Chisora. Like we all kind of expected, Chisora took the fight to Usyk early. Usyk was able to weather that early storm and then outpoint Derek Chisora on his way to a unanimous decision. Uh, Sergio, what did this win tell you, if anything, about Alexander Usyk's chances to win bigger heavyweight fights? I didn't answer no questions. I'll be uh, honest with you. I still have the same questions from his last fight. Um, we know we know what Usyk is, and that's great in that catchweight, but. In the era of these huge monsters at the heavyweight division, I mean, Chisora is what six foot two, six foot three at most. Can you imagine three, four more inches with that same height? And he's going to have more trouble with these fighters. I don't think Usyk, and I hate to say this, I don't think Usyk is big enough. And it's not because he's not talented enough. It's just that's not his. That's not his uh, division. That's not his size. He's he's in an era of these monsters that are just too big for him. It's a, it's a different level, and that's why I believe the WBC added a new weight division in heavyweights because they're seeing that, well, one, we're going to lose a lot of money here because it's going to be a heavyweight division and fight really good fighters between 200 and 230 pounds that aren't going to be able to beat these these giants. So that was maybe a smart you know financial move on WBC, but it was also the right move because Usyk is never going to really fill out to be a, a threat in the heavyweight division. He can be 
He can be sly, he can be sneaky, he can be cagey, experienced, use his feet, you know, frustrate these fighters, these big fighters that I'm talking about. But when I don't think so. Chisora gave him problems and he wasn't even landing clean shots. He was he was giving him issues just by the mass and the sheer uh, uh, you know, going forward with the size, I can't see it with younger, stronger, heavy six foot six heavyweights. I just can't. yeah. Well, for, for Sergio, like the, you know, the WBC can do whatever they want and create whatever division if they so go down that path. Nobody's going to pay attention to it unless all the other sanctioning bodies do the same thing. And there's no indication yet that that's going to happen. So it's just like another you know WBC boondoggle that they create and you know try to cash in on. Um, Lance Sergio does keep saying this about Usyk's performance. He is. He is not impressed by it. I was impressed by it because Chisora, you know, even with nine losses, was a legitimate heavyweight gatekeeper. Like he's only lost to, or most of his losses have come to the best in boxing, whether it was David Hay when he was at the peak of his power, whether it was uh, Vitaly Klitschko at that time. He's fought some of the best. And look, he's got, he had nine losses, now 10, but some of them have been bad decisions. I mean, I was, you know, working for Epics in Finland when Robert Hellenius robbed him, or at least the judges robbed him in that fight against Robert Hellenius. So he's a really good fighter. And look, he didn't knock out Chisora, as some other guys have, like a Dillian White, but he did control, you know, the probably two-thirds of the fight. You know, when Chisora started to run out of gas, uh, Usyk basically took over. And look, there are going to be taller fighters that he goes up against, but Usyk has proven that he can be in shape for 12 rounds. He will give you 36 full minutes of the best of his ability, whereas other fighters, if they can't do that, they're going to have problems with him. So they, they may you may see fights like that play out in a largely the same way where Usyk has to be on his bike for the first two or three rounds. But then when he settles in, if you're not as good a condition as he is, he's going to control you just like he did Derek Chisora. What did you think? Well, aren't these other, these bigger guys are in pretty good condition, right? I mean, if you're talking about, I know Joshua's not super a bigger, but he is, you know, in great shape other than if he gets hit in the chin by Andy Ruiz Jr., right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, Wilder is almost his size. Tyson Fury's you know, like in pretty good shape. And I, I think, you know, I actually agree with uh, Sergio, Chris. I'm going to go against you on this one because I think that the, the issue that I saw is that the issue that he had with Chisora's size. And clearly he's going to be dealing with that size. And my, you know, my ultimate um, question was how big will Usyk be walking into the, into the ring that night? And he, was, he didn't really pack on a lot of weight, but it almost seems like he needs to pack on the extra weight. Yet it's a double-edged sword because if he does pack on the extra weight, he probably loses some of that skill that he needs to win these kinds of fights. So it's just, you know, he's kind of like in no man's land as I see it. But I'm only talking about the, you know, the best of the best. He wants to be heavyweight champion of the world. He's in mandatory position for Anthony Joshua. But from what I saw on Saturday, I just, I just, I just could never pick him in, in either of these fights. I think that, yes, he's a tremendous boxer. We know that from the cruiserweight division. And I know it, it you know, it galls us all to say this, you know, what Sergio said, but that WBC division that Mauricio Suleiman created is actually perfect for Usyk. And let's be honest, you may see a, a, a fight for that title with Usyk against Wilder, right? Because they're both around that weight. That's great. We'll create a weight class, create a new belt. That's just just what boxing needs, a new weight class and a new belt. And awesome. Thank you. I'm Thank not, you, I'm WBC, not for leaving I'm not way. advocating <laughs> it. I'm just saying that, you know, I think that that's where he's bound for. I mean, we're, I think we'll see maybe one fight with Usyk and one of these bigger guys, and then we're mm -hmm. going to know, like, go back down. Well, Sergio, Usyk maybe too, it, it may have been, like if his camp believes how you and Lance believe, 
you know, maybe it's an opportunity. Like you do have that WBO mandatory that you could enforce. Maybe you tell Eddie Hearn, like, all right, you know, get us another couple of fights against taller fighters, maybe less threatening fighters that Usyk can can learn from, and you guarantee me that fight in t- late 2021 or early 2022 or whenever it can ultimately materialize. Maybe it's a, almost a blessing in disguise for Usyk if he can give himself a little bit more time to acclimate to a heavier division, to acclimate to fighting bigger guys. It is a risk because, I mean, somebody could knock him out. Somebody could beat him and then he'd lose that title opportunity, but he could also have a chance to make some money, uh, get better, and put himself in a better position to face Joshua or Tyson Fury down the line. It's not the height that's going to give him trouble. It's the, it's the mass. It's the, it's, the, it's the strength of these fighters. Chisora wasn't a big fighter. He was six two and a half, I think. He wasn't more than 6'3", at 36 years old. He was just a massive linebacker that obviously is tough and knows how to, you know, he's, he's a top contender. It's not the height that's going to give Usyk problems. I'm sure he's already fought taller guys. Uh, at, he at has. Well, even the World, even the world Boxing Super Series. Even the World Boxing Super Series. Or the World Series of Boxing, sorry. He did. He fought big guys. So the height's not going to give him issues. It's, it's, the, it's the power because he feels the strength. They're not hitting him solid. But when they're bouncing off your shoulders and off your gloves, you're like, wow, if he hits me with something clean, this guy can take me out. And that's what makes him get on his bike and be a little bit more active and do all that. But he, he needs – he's never going to put on weight because that's going to take away his, his what make, the ability of what makes him special, and that's angles and using the southpaw angle. He's not going to do that. So, yeah, either there's a catch weight to win a championship at heavyweight or we know what we have with Usyk. You match him carefully as a heavyweight, but he's not going to compete with the – with the three-headed monsters that are the heavyweight champions. Would you like to see him? Would you guys like to see him against either Dillian White? You know, he beats Pavetkin in that delayed fight, or Joseph Parker, the former heavyweight champion. Would either of those fighters do do anything for him? It would do something for me. I mean, you're talking about two guys that have been, in the case of Parker, a heavyweight champion. In the case of uh, White, the next closest thing to being a heavyweight champion. So they would be, you know, two significant fights that. You know, frankly, especially in the case of Dillian White, if you do it in the UK, you can make a ton of money if crowds are, are let back in. So, yeah, I, I would I would definitely be on board for those fights. I, I really like the Joseph Parker because he's a former champion, a former heavyweight champion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's not a huge heavyweight puncher. He's more of a mover and breaks you down. I really like Joseph Parker. And I, you know what? I also like a fighter like, say, a Michael Hunter, a small heavyweight. Oh, yeah. that's also a high, a high IQ, can get a fight. And you know he's a legitimate heavyweight, but yeah, but he's, he's fought he's fought Hunter. He, he, Sergio, he's fought Hunter before, and you know maybe yeah, people have talked I mean, about that. Rematch. It was a good fight. But, yeah, but it doesn't really do anything for him in terms of getting him prepared for a bigger fight. Yeah, I mean, Hunter's right. a blown up you know cruiserweight as well. I that's not a, that's a fight I wouldn't mind seeing. Like if neither one have another option, if they're, if they're both coming off a loss or something, you can set that fight up, and it could be the grudge match, cruiserweight to heavyweight. I just like to see some 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 tougher higher caliber, real heavyweight competition for Usyk before he uh, steps into those bigger fights. Let me finish with this with you guys. Uh, we do have Devin Haney this weekend. That fight's going to be on DAZN from Hollywood, Florida. Uh, Haney facing Yuriorkas Gamboa. Gamboa, uh, the biggest name Haney will have on his resume, but he is in his late 30s. He's coming off a stoppage loss to Tank Davis last year. He's been stopped a few times uh, in his career since making the jump up to the lightweight division. So, uh, you know, Haney is a considerable favorite. Uh, but to me, Lance, it's not about whether Haney wins or lose. It's how he wins. Like, can Haney kind of keep up 
with these other top lightweights. In the case of Lopez, you know, dominating a great fighter. That was his statement. In the case of Davis, a spectacular knockout. Go back to February, Ryan Garcia, you know, big knockout win over Francisco Fonseca. These lightweights are not just winning, they're winning impressively. And I think a big reason that Devin Haney has not being mentioned as a candidate to fight Lopez or Garcia yet or Tank Davis is that the last two fights have not ended in any kind of spectacular way. Got a stoppage uh, two fights ago in New York uh, at the Garden. Uh, and then his last fight went to, what did it go to? A, the, went the distance or went, yeah, yeah. I think it went the distance. Um, so he, he hasn't had, he hasn't had any momentum off these wins. So what, what do you, Lance, want to see out of Devin Haney in this fight? Yeah, he was injured in that fight too, I believe, Chris, yeah. right? His last fight. So had shoulder surgery afterwards. Yeah, I mean, this, that's the tricky part for Devin Haney because he he absolutely needs a knockout. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it at all. But he's dealing with a, you know, a very complicated fighter in Yuri Gamboa who definitely knows how to box. And even though he went down a few times in his loss to Javante uh, Davis, he also had some moments against Javante Davis. So he's not completely finished. So Devin Haney, you know, has to, I mean, maybe he's, he has to go out of his comfort zone, I, I believe, in this fight to match them on, on the PR uh, battle, you know, that is going on out there because those guys, those other two guys have been so sensational. And then you've got Ryan Garcia following, uh, following in a couple of weeks. So clearly like Devin Haney doesn't want to be considered like the, the number four in the power rankings of all, all those guys. So a big knockout against a very accomplished, uh, astute fighter like Gamboa would be a very, a very, um, you know, successful thing for him and, and really, you know, build his name up to where he, he wants it to be as this debate is just going to intensify so much. Sergio, nobody loved a nice unanimous decision like Sergio Mora. We know that. But you can at least understand and you can, I'm sure, uh, agree that for Devin Haney, it's not just about winning. It's about how you win this particular fight. I agree with you here. And I think he's going to get it because Gamboa... I've been watching videos of Gamboa all day, and he's a feisty fighter, man. I mean, he really, he'll go out on his shield. And he's, he, I mean, he doesn't have the legs to carry him the distance. So for six rounds, he's, he's dangerous. He can be dangerous. I mean, in his first loss when he fought Crawford, that was a, like a fight of the year candidate type fight. Uh, uh, Gamboa is really going for the home runs, even though he was outgunned by Crawford. And that's what we're going to see with Haney, a young Haney, 20 years old, young champion. I think Gamboa's experience, uh, 18 years is, is major. And, and all that Olympic background and pedigree, he can bring that one magical night against Haney. And he's going to go for it. I'm telling you, he's going to go for it. I don't see that fight going the distance. Haney, I mean, this fight will end in a knockout. And both of them will be vulnerable. Of course, we have to credit Haney. I think Haney's going to understand that the shows that these lightweights have been doing and go for the knockout as well. I, I, I think we're going to have a special night on Saturday. Lance, how many of those Mora unanimous decisions did you cover <laughs> back with the LA Times? <laughs> a good half dozen at least, and I enjoyed them all, Sergio. <laughs> Thank you, Lance. And uh, I love your writing, too. I can't say the same to Chris. <laughs> Okay, on that note, uh, Lance Pugmire, check out his stuff at The Athletic. Does great work over there. He's got a column up right now about the Deontay Wilder situation. Check out Sergio on Saturday on DAZN when Devin Haney defends his version of the WBC title against Yuriokas Gamboa. Gentlemen, always appreciate your time. Great conversation. Chris, send me a bottle of wine right now for this favor. <laughs> I'm expecting a knock. Coming up next, WBC 135-pound title holder, Devin Haney. 
Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Devin Haney is back, the WBC lightweight champion. He's back in action after... A one-year coronavirus-caused layoff uh, back in action on Saturday where he faced Yuriarkis Gamboa defending his title down at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in South Florida. Devin, what's up, man? What's good, Chris? How you doing? I'm telling you, the lightweight division is pretty fun right now, isn't it? The best division in boxing. You know, you've had... The last couple of weeks, or last few weeks anyway, just not just wins by top lightweights, but like statement wins, whether it was Teofimo uh, beating Vasily Lomachenko, Gervonta uh, knocking off Leo Santa Cruz in the way that he did. When you look at those two fights, Devin, what was more impressive to you? Whose win was more impressive? I think they both, you know, uh, put on a, a good statement, both of them. I think Teofimo may have had the bigger statement because, of course, he, he fought Loma, who everyone was, you know, putting on this pedestal to be the the next great the next great star or whatever. But um I think Teofimo. Well before we get to Teofimo, last week with Gervonta, uh, it was a spectacular finish. We know that. Everybody's seen the highlight knockout. But you know, as a fighter, what did you see during Santa Cruz Davis that, that stood out? What did you think of the fight in general? Thought it was a good fight. Um from from round one to whatever round it ended in you know, it was a good matchup. They were, you know, going at it. I think that Tank showed that that he can that he can be hit. You know, fairly easy. Uh, Leo had some success early, but he's dangerous from round one to whatever round. You know, it's it's over, and so that's that's what he also showed. 
Yeah, I thought a lot of that same stuff too. I mean, Leo landed some shots that I think a bigger puncher, and, and you're one of those bigger punchers, might have been able to cause more damage. And I wasn't – I mean, look, he's got, he's, he's got power, no question about it. Like, he can crack. Uh, but, you know, he was hit with a lot of shots. I think a bigger puncher like you might have given him some problems with. Most definitely, I agree. The casual boxing fans see a knockout, and that's all they remember. But as true hardcore boxing fans, we know that we remembered what happened before the knockout. And Tank was getting hit before, literally before the knockout. Mm. Well, when you look at, at the aftermath of both those fights, you had Teofimo Lopez mention your name after that fight as someone he'd like to fight. Uh, but you've heard like Bob Arum say, you know, Devin Haney doesn't do good business right now. You're not hearing Javante Davis talk about you as far as his next fight. Even Ryan Garcia, you know, when you guys met in the ring back in February, you know, you made note of the fact that he mentioned you last as among the guys that he was going to face. I mean, how do you feel about not being considered the guy they want to fight next? I mean, it just shows that I'm, that I'm the boogeyman. The, the stuff that, that I say, this, it, it just backs it up. It backs up with facts. I say that I'm the most feared fighter in boxing. I say that I'm the most feared in the lightweight division. I say that they fear me, and they just prove it, and, and, they just prove it, uh, and back it up with facts. Hmm. When you watch you know, Teofimo, the way he fought, and Javante finishing it like that, I mean, does that get your, your own juices flowing to have your own kind of signature performance in a fight like this weekend? Of course, you know, it, it motivated it motivated me to put on a, a great performance. I look forward to Saturday night. The lightweight division is on fire. Everyone is trying to outdo each other. So that's why it, it makes Saturday night so, so special because everyone wants to see what, what is Devin Haney going to do. We saw T. We saw, we saw Tank. Now it's Devin Haney's turn, and he's the next weekend after. We got to see what he's going to do. Do you believe, Devin, that – it's not just if you win, but how you win. I have this fight with Demetrius Andrade all the time where he'll tell me, like, look, I'm winning. I'm dominating. I'm even getting knockouts late in fights. But he's not winning spectacularly. Do you believe it's it's more than just winning? It's how you win? Most definitely. I think that you can go in there and, and you can win. You can go in there and you can win a, a sloppy way. You can get hit, take punishment, and still knock a guy out like we've seen some guys do. You can go in there and... You could pitch a shutout and it'd be a boring shutout. Or you can go in there and, you know, do do both. You can go in there and be exciting and win by knockout. And that's what Devin Haney does. When you look at the last two fights of yours, um, how have you felt about those performances? Uh, my last fight against Santiago, I felt like it was an all right performance. I could have did better even though I won every round on the scorecard. But it wasn't the Devin Haney that you guys saw in my past few performances which, you know, it's, it's, I make no excuses because everyone, you know, I, I, um, I'm just not that type of person. But, and I can guarantee in my next fight that it will be uh, uh, the best performance. Is that because of what you hope to bring? Is that because of the kind of fight Gamboa is going to be willing to get in with you? Why do you say that? I think that I think because Gamboa is the type of fighter we never see him in a boring fight. He goes in there and he gives it his all. You hurt him, and he's going. He fights even harder when he's hurt. He's more dangerous when he's hurt. Devin Haney comes to fight every single time, so that's why this fight is very interesting. And, and let's see uh, how Devin Haney finishes. How Devin Haney, um, you know, does when he when when someone is is coming at him with speed and power. We got to just see when. 
when Gamboa's name was first brought up to you, what, what was your reaction? I mean, obviously you know who he is, um, but he is a year removed from the loss he had to Tank Davis. He's lost some fights during his career. What was your reaction? Well, honestly, Gamboa was probably the seventh name that was uh, chose. We, we, we had about every top guy that you could possibly think of, whether it was Gary Russell, Tiafimo, uh Ryan Garcia, Luke Campbell, Javier Fortuna. Uh, the list goes on and on. And then that's when Gamboa came. Gamboa was the best available opponent, which I never, I do not take him lightly. I know that he's going to come to fight. I know that he gave Tank the toughest fight of his career. I know that he gave Terrence Crawford the toughest fight of, of their career. But I wanted the, I wanted the big names. I wanted the, the top dogs, and I wasn't able to get him. And that's where we, that's where Gamboa came in. No disrespect to him. I know that he's going to come to fight. Yeah, I mean, is that the kind of fight you're expecting? Are you expecting him to come out there? and try to trade with you because that would seem to be dangerous. You're you're a big lightweight and he's a guy that maybe not the most natural lightweight in the world. I think that this is a do or die moment for Gamble. He's going to go in there and he's going to give it his all. He knows that if he goes in there and, and he loses, it may not be another opportunity for him or maybe at just a, a, a level so low that he probably wouldn't even do it. It wouldn't be worth it. So I know that he's going to come in there and he's going to try to, to you know, make, try to knock me out. He's going to try to go in there and try to give it his all. This is your first opportunity, if you want to call it that, to fight behind closed doors. We're almost getting used to it in boxing in some ways, seeing a lot of these big fights happen behind closed doors. Tank did have about 10,000 fans at his fight over Leo, which certainly created a, a nice little atmosphere uh, down in Texas. But how, how are you feeling about uh, fighting behind closed doors? And it, do you have to do anything different to prepare for it? Uh, just preparing, we, we had to just stay safe, make sure everyone was, you know, um, you know, safe and wearing their masks and washing their hands and making, make sure, making sure the gym was sanitized and stuff like that. You know, just keeping people around me to a, to a minimum. Um, that was the only difference, but fighting behind, fighting ring, uh, it's two people, uh, going at it, you know, with, with uh, Thousands and thousands of people watching all over the world, so it's it's going to be what it's going to be. I, I don't, I'm not overthinking or whatever. When when I go in the ring, I mean business, whether it's in the gym or whether it's uh, in in inside the the Hard Rock Hotel. Mm. Um, I, I heard Derek Chisora say that to prepare for his fight with Usyk, he made sure his gym was like really quiet, so he wouldn't. He could almost try to replicate what a quiet arena might sound like. Did you try anything different to kind of prepare yourself for that environment? No, it's, it's no way that, that uh, the gym could be quiet with, with all this explosiveness, explosiveness <laughs> and this excitement that I bring. It's no way. It's, it's, the, the babies are making noise when I'm boxing. <laughs> That's a pretty good line. Um, the, the, the kind of fight that Gamboa is going to bring, the kind of fight that you want to bring him, mean, do you have like an idea in your mind? Like, do you want to get him out of there early? I mean, is this the kind of thing where you know you want something that people are going to be talking about for days to come? Gamboa is a crafty opponent, and, and that's why this fight is so dangerous. Because if you rush to knock out with him, that's where that's where he'll hurt you. That's where he'll 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 bite you at. So you got to be careful. You can't go in there too anxious. But you can't go in there to to relax. So it's 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 a fight where it's a very interesting fight where you got to tune in and, and, and watch how I uh, how I handle him. 
It feels like a lifetime ago, Devin, but you had a, sh a shoulder issue after your last fight. You had a procedure done on your shoulder. I mean, how are you physically, and are you anticipating any kind of rust or any kind of, you know, shake off the rust kind of rounds going into it? No, um, I'm always in the gym. I'm always working. So um, I feel so ready. I don't feel any any ring rust or anything like that. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. On a, as soon as that bell rings, I'm gonna be ready to go. You mentioned that the lightweight division is the most exciting in boxing. I think a lot of people would agree with you. It's only exciting, though, if we get the big fights. I mean, what's your understanding? What's your confidence level that you can get those fights, that those fights will be there in 2021 and beyond? I'm talking about Ryan and, and Davis and Teofimo Lopez, the four horsemen, so to speak, of, of, of the lightweight division. Um, I can't guarantee anything. I've been trying to get these guys in the ring for a while now, but it is no rush. At the end of the day, I'm 21 years old. I have a long career ahead of me. When it happens, it'll happen. But I'm, I'm not going to chase these guys because um, at the end of the day, if they're, they're going to find any way or any way that they can to maneuver out of, out of a fight with me, which is fine because at the end of the day, they can't run forever. Then when the time comes, it'll, it'll happen. Yeah, but guys, guys can run forever. We've seen guys run forever. They can avoid fights for for a long time. Frankly, I mean, they they, they can avoid you. So in that case, they're going to run be ran out of boxing. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the way it goes sometimes with uh, some of these fights, some of these fighters. But if you had to, if you had to rank the order with which you'd like to face guys, is there any particular order of those guys? Uh, the main fight that I would like to make is with TFMO because it will be for all the belts in lightweight division. It will be for the, the, the lightweight crown. So that, that would be the main fight that I would want to make happen. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that fight would happen, though, at this weight class or at 140? Because it seems like both of you guys are more likely to move up sooner rather than later. Well, when, when Devin Haney's in the weight class, of course they want to move up and they want to go to different weight classes. And, you know, it, 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 it makes sense. But if he, if he runs out of the weight class, that frees the belts up, and we can make other fights happen. That's fine. You, know, you saw Ryan Garcia in the ring, as I mentioned, back in February. He's back in the ring in a big fight of his own against Luke Campbell uh, in December. A lot of history between you two guys, isn't there? Yeah. From the amateur ranks. I mean, how many times did you guys fight in the amateurs? I told you. We fought six times, and I went off. I told you this. Right. You you did tell me in the ring. I'm trying to remember uh, after the fact. But though he disagrees with that. I, I was talking to Ryan recently. He said, no way that was all six for him. Tell him to show it. Tell him we want to see. We want to, we want to see a picture. We want to see a video. We want to see something. He did say this about you, Devin, though. He, he said that you were kind of a trailblazer for him. Like, he watched what you did. He knew you from the amateurs. He watched what you did and went pro and fought some of those fights in Mexico and charted kind of your own your own path. I mean, in a way, you you kind of have led the way for a lot of young guys in boxing. Definitely, definitely, and I'm happy that you said that. Uh, a lot of people don't give me credit, but I'm the I'm the one who started the the Mexico going to Mexico and turning pro at a young age, and you know, um, fighters becoming their their own promoters and 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 doing it that way, which is. I, I'm not mad at it. This, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to motivate and I wanted to inspire, you know, young kids to to do it their way and to not just sign anything or just fall for anything. So uh, I'm thankful that you know people are are you know some people are acknowledging it, and for the people that aren't, it's fine. 
I mean, those, I, I would imagine, like, going to what, like Tijuana or different locations in Mexico, you're probably not exactly sure who you're fighting every given night, or, or at least the skill level of the guys you're fighting. Probably older men that you're fighting in those circumstances very early in your career when other fighters with bigger promoters at that time are probably very carefully matched early in their careers. Yeah, a lot of people don't know is that I fought, I fought the same guy twice in Mexico. He had two different names. Nobody even know. <laughs> He had two different names. Yep. What was? But it was the same guy with two different names. I t- I told my dad. I said, "Dad, we just fought him." My dad said, "No, no, no it's a different guy. They just look alike." I said, "No, dad, that's him." <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I, it, went, it went all the way to the fight. I said, "Dad, look at his shoes. Remember those shoes? We fought him." He said, "Oh yeah, that is him. It's all right. We're gonna beat him anyways. Let's do it." How how both those fights goes? I mean, how do they end? Uh, I knocked him out twice. (laughs) Knocked him out twice. So there you go. It ends all the same, just no matter who the opponent is. Oh, Devin Haney, looking forward to Saturday night on DAZN, uh, you versus Yorikas Gamboa. You're right. The lightweight division is great right now, and hopefully you know, this is another springboard for you to get one of those big fights in 2021. We all want to see you in those fights in 2021, whether it's, you know, against Lopez, against Davis, or against Ryan Garcia. Give us a decade's worth of those kind of fights, my man. Give me give me all those fights for the next Chris, uh, eight, gotta, nine, you, ten years. Chris, you got to stop. You can't tell these people that I was given a title. You got to tell them the truth about what's, what happened. I wanted to fight Lomachenko. Lomachenko asked to be elevated to the franchise, whatever it is, the duck belt. I said yeah. I fought in a tournament to fight Loma. He went the opposite way. Me and Zara Abdullah fought for the intern belt. That's how I got elevated. You got to explain the story. Don't I say can, I can. No, 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 no. I, I, we can have this conversation. I, I can explain that. You're right about all that. What you're wrong about and what doesn't get talked about enough and should be talked about is that the WBC is pathetic. And they just are. Like, this is... Like, the franchise champion, Devin, shouldn't exist in the first place. And it's like, it's not as bad as... It's not as bad as the WBA, but when you get kind of in bed with the WBC and get involved with some of their stuff, and they pull crap like this, like, at this point, nobody should be surprised, ever. They do it all the time. And if if uh, if Dillian White had knocked out uh, Alexander Povetkin in August... Tyson Fury would be the franchise champion right now. And anything to to avoid forcing fights they don't want to force. That's why I always tell guys, and I'm going on like a tangent now, but that's why I always tell guys, like, fight for the IBF title. They're like the only ones that seem to have like any kind of rules they actually follow. They're not the best with matchmaking, and they're not the best with their rankings, but they got rules. Like, the WBC say, doesn't have any say, rules. When you say given a belt, you know what you got to say? Loma gave me his belt. Loma gave yeah. me his belt. He did. I, that, I, that's a fair. I punked Loma out of his belt. You did. That is completely fair. That, yeah, Loma gave you his belt. Loma's belt doesn't exist, but the WBC pulls this crap all the time, and I, I just always encourage people not to get involved with them because Dillian White waited for like two years for his title shot, had one of the best resumes in the heavyweight division and couldn't get a title shot. Like, that to me is insane. Like, if you want, you deserved that mandatory challenge. You deserve to be to put your interim belt against Loma's belt on the line in a real fight. And another sanctioning body might have done that. The WBC doesn't do that. That's my only problem with, with any of that discussion. Yeah, well, that's all. Thank you, though. 
<laughs> you got it. You, you are the champ. Devin Haney, WBC, lightweight champion uh, uh, to the bone. You are the champ in that, in that division and in that weight class. Devin, good to talk to you, man. We'll see you on Saturday night. See you Saturday. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at first first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts carol g juan gabriel christina aguilera what do these three have in common You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.